Well, hey, everybody. So good to be with you today. This is Jason Mulliver, directing pastor here at Crossroads. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. I'll be using the English Standard Version. This is the fourth Sunday in Advent, and Christmas is only six, six days away. Can you believe it? It just seems crazy that we're at Christmas already. And so let's pray before we jump into God's word. God, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to bless us as we consider what you want to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would speak your words of life and and just comfort and encouragement and challenge to us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon every one of us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, and use us. In Jesus' name, amen. So on Monday, November 1, I did a college visit with my son Landry to Taylor University in Upland, Indiana. I was really excited to get to do this, just to go with Landry and visit one of the schools that he was considering that he might want to go to college at. And so we went there. I didn't realize quite how to calculate the travel time before I agreed to do this. Again, so glad I did. But we were supposed to be there in Upland, Indiana at 8.30 in the morning. Well, that's 7.30 our time. And so then I calculated how far it was. It takes four and a half hours to get there. Okay, so oh, we're going to have to leave super early or go the night before. Well, then not understanding all the math of getting there and being at Taylor at 7.30 our time, I said, hey, we should throw a Halloween party at our house for the high school youth group. And so we had these two fires in the backyard. All these people came over. That was the night before. And so we got done with that about 9 o'clock on Halloween night. (laughs) And we didn't leave till about 9.15. And we had to be in Upland four and a half hours away at 7.30 our time. So we drove through the night, slept for a few hours at a hotel. And there we were ready to go at Taylor University. Now, when I looked at the schedule of events for the day, I was relieved to find that at 10 a.m. on that Monday, there was chapel scheduled. This is a Christian university, so they have chapel services. And I thought, ah, I can catch a nap during chapel. Now, I hardly ever get to sleep during church. You know, I look out there, and people look so comfortable, and, you know, people are snoozing. They're going in and out of sleep. Some people are just resting so peacefully, but I never get to sleep during church. I thought, oh, a chapel service. I'm not preaching. I can take a nap during chapel. Then when we got to chapel, I didn't sleep at all, and it was because of the speaker. He wasn't a dynamic communicator, but his story was so catastrophic that I was wide awake listening to it. The guy's name is Warwick Fairfax, And he had grown up in Australia, and he is a member of the Fairfax family that owned this huge media conglomerate company. His great-great-grandfather had started it, just, you know, multi-billion dollar company. And he had been groomed from childhood to take over the company and lead the company as his father had, his grandfather had, great-grandfather had, and great-great-grandfather had. And so Warwick had gone to Oxford University and then to Harvard Business School to get ready for this job. It was his destiny. And then in 1987, when he was 26 years old, Warwick's father died. And it was his turn to step into the saddle. Well, he was fully trained. He was fully ready to go, fully educated, ready to take the helm. Well, one of his first moves 
was to do a takeover valued at $1.5 billion in U.S. dollars to reprivatize the company. It had become a public company. He wanted to reprivatize it and take it back to the values that it was built upon by his great-great-grandfather. Well, that is one of the greatest disasters in Australian business history. Within three years, Warwick had driven the company into bankruptcy, and a receiver or a custodian of the assets had to be appointed, and young Warwick was relieved of his duties. Now, the media attention around this event and around young Warwick Fairfax was so intense that Warwick had to leave the country. He had to leave the continent of Australia and move to the United States to try to start over. So when he got to the United States, he was trying to find jobs. But no one would hire him. Who would hire someone that was an infamous just disaster of a businessman? Poor guy. So he had to get a temp job. So over the past few decades, Warwick has rebuilt his life with the help of Christ on a different, more secure foundation. Over time, he has rebuilt a company, and he was telling us about this book that he had just written, and they gave away free copies of it called Crucible Leadership. And he was talking about his experience uh, just driving this company into the ground and then rebuilding his life on Christ and making better decisions. Fascinating story. I felt so bad for the guy, and I was so proud of him for being humble, and I loved his testimony of Christ and how Christ had helped him rebuild, and I loved seeing this man in a good place. Great story. Now, I hope that you will never see your world fall apart the way that Warwick Fairfax's life fell apart. But if you are living in this life as a human being, you will have days when it feels like your world is completely crumbling. And sometimes it might be to a certain degree. Perhaps you've worked for something your entire life and then it's stripped away when you get passed over for something or through a shady business dealing and everything you've been working for it collapses. Perhaps you're married for some time and then you find out that your spouse has been having a secret affair. Your spouse has a secret addiction that you didn't know about and the last few decades have been a lie. Perhaps you find out that the person you thought was your best friend has been betraying you and talking bad about you behind your back. Perhaps you've been training your whole life to be a professional athlete and then you have a career-ending injury that totally takes you out. Perhaps you've been saving up for retirement and your investment portfolio loses half of its value overnight when the economy tanks. These things happen. Hopefully they don't happen to you to the level that they happen to some other people, but you will have days when you feel like your world is completely collapsing. You don't just feel anxious. You don't just feel out of control. You don't feel disappointed, but like literally huge chunks of your life that you've been counting on just fall apart, and you're left in this place. I think that must be how Joseph felt when his fiancée Mary came back from visiting her cousin Elizabeth and was three months pregnant with a baby that he was not a part of making. Today we read the story of Joseph, who would adopt Jesus as his son and raise him. But listen to how this started. Beginning in chapter 1 verse 18 in the book of Matthew. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I did some reading this week about the engagement process in first century Israel. And famous Bible commentator William Barclay gives some really helpful information which helps us understand the dynamics of this passage. So apparently, uh, the marriage process began with engagement. An engagement that was something that often was arranged when the bride and groom-to-be were still children. Perhaps the parents of two families got together and they arranged for their kids to one day be married. They had an arranged marriage. Or perhaps a professional matchmaker was employed to pair up young children in the village in the Jewish community. Usually, the bride and groom-to-be had no say over who they were arranged to be married to, and this would happen very young. Now, the second stage in the process would be the betrothal stage. Now, at the betrothal stage, this would be the time when the girl was old enough to be considered a wife, and the man was old enough and established in his trade. Usually, the man was older than the girl. And so, the betrothal would be entered into, and it would be legally binding, and it would be the beginning of a year-long process which would culminate in the wedding itself. During the betrothal period, the man and woman were already called husband and wife. It could only be broken off by a legal divorce, even though they didn't live together and they didn't enjoy uh, sexual relations together, okay? So they lived apart, but they were considered legally bound to one another as husband and wife. And then after a year of betrothal, the wedding would take place, and then they would enter into their adult married life. Now, if we accept this explanation of what the marital and engagement process looked like that Barclay puts forward, that would mean that Joseph and Mary would have been in phase two, the betrothal period. Now, they'd enter into this, and they were heading toward their wedding, okay? Now, it tells us in Luke chapter two that after the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she would become supernaturally inseminated with the Savior, that Mary then disappeared and went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant in her old age with John the Baptist. And it says that she stayed with Elizabeth for three months. So then, at the end of the three months, she came back to Nazareth, where Joseph lived, and she was three months pregnant. It would have been very difficult to hide. How shocked Joseph must have been. They had been engaged for so long, and then they had entered into the betrothal period, and now she's pregnant by someone else? How humiliating this would have been. 
She had obviously rejected him, and she was giving proof of that that the whole community could see. How embarrassing, how humiliating, how belittling it must have been. It must have felt like his world was crashing in. This is past engagement into betrothal. They're legally bound together, and this would have been a disaster. And the community, the rumors would have been terrible. I mean, there's a couple of options. I mean, I guess there is a chance that maybe, you know, someone had taken advantage of Mary against her will, and that that was the result. But if that wasn't the case, then Mary either had something going on with another guy, and she wasn't the innocent girl that she'd hoped to, that people thought she was, or she and Joseph had jumped the gun, and they had gotten together before their wedding day. All of it's bad. All of it's bad. It looks bad for Mary. It looks bad for Joseph. It looks bad for all the families. But in verse 19, we read about the character of Joseph. This is the man who would raise Jesus. And it's just so telling. It says about him in verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, see, already called husband there, even though they're not uh, on the other side of their wedding day, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, under Jewish law, if a woman committed adultery, and this would have been adultery, both she and the man that she committed adultery with should have been stoned to death. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? And they brought her to Jesus and said, our law commands us to stone such women. So Joseph could have called for her to be stoned to death. Yeah, that could have happened. Now, under uh, Roman occupation, they would have hadn't got clearance for that um, by the Romans. But I mean, it could have gotten really, really ugly. He at least could have brought great shame upon her and the family in some kind of revenge that he wanted to exact. But Joseph has zero interest in seeking retribution against this humiliating thing that Mary has apparently done. It says he wanted to just quietly call things off and let her go on with her life. It says he was a just man. The word translated just here is the word dikaios, and it means righteous, upright, good. He was a good man, a very good man. So he slowed his response down. He didn't do anything impulsively. He considered his options and he resolved. This is what he would do. In the midst of the shame, the cloud of all the embarrassment, he was just going to quietly call off the divorce, quietly divorce her, let her get on with his life, then he would get on with his. Maybe he'd move to a new community, start over, do something to begin a new life. Now, because he took this high road and gave space and trusted God to deal with Mary however he wanted to, he also created space for God to give him the rest of the story. And God was inviting him into the grandest story of all time. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him that Mary was actually pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit with the one who would be the savior of the people of God. And that he was to be named by Joseph. He was telling Joseph, you're to name him. In other words, you're to adopt him. That would be an adoption. And you were to claim him as your son. And you will raise this child. What a big job that would be. What a big plan and role God had for Joseph. Now, one of the main takeaways from this passage 
is that things are not always what they seem. And sometimes when it feels like our world is falling apart all around us, that there's more to the story. Or at least there's a bigger story of what God will do in our lives. And sometimes when it feels like our world is crashing down, those are actually birth pangs and troublesome periods of time which lead to more beautiful, more significant things. That's definitely the case with Joseph. And I think Warwick Fairfax would say that what he's doing now is what God designed him and had planned for him to do. So again, I pray that your life never fully collapses like Warwick Fairfax's or like Joseph's must have felt like it was taking place uh, when Mary showed up pregnant. I hope you never have to live through something that public and catastrophic, but you might, truthfully. And if you have to, or if you are, you need to keep in mind the picture of Joseph. He gives us a really great role model and a path to follow. So I want to just share with you again what he did. Number one, Joseph controlled his impulses. When Mary came back pregnant, of course he was hurt. Of course he was angry. Of course he was devastated. Of course he felt rejected. Of course he felt humiliated. Of course he felt belittled. But somehow he was able to restrain himself, control his impulses, not lash out, not do something drastic. If he had, she might have been dead before the angel had a chance to even speak to him. You know, he did what I think is some of the best advice that we see anywhere in the Bible. It's given by David in Psalm chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And these are verses that you really ought to memorize. It says there that when you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Then make right sacrifices and put your trust in God. He slowed down his response time. He did not act on whatever impulse he had, the fight or flight or freeze. He resolved. He thought about it. He did what was best. Hardly ever is our impulsive response to a perceived injustice going to help us in the long run. That's why it says in James chapter 1, it says in verses 19 and 20, let everyone understand this, beloved. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he controlled his impulses. The second thing he did was choose the highest possible road. Joseph chose to quietly call off the engagement rather than publicly humiliate Mary. He could have pushed for her death. He could have publicly disgraced her and her family. But he didn't. He chose the highest possible road. It's amazing. You know, when we're going through devastating, humiliating, embarrassing things, sometimes we do things. We don't choose the high road. We choose the low road. And people don't blame us or shame us for it. So take the highest possible road, and it'll create space for God to speak to you. You want to practice what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 20, where he wrote, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it 
to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When it seems that the world is falling apart around you, keep taking the high road over and over again. Number three, he listened to God's voice. He listened for God's guidance. Because Joseph created space for God to work, he also created space for God to speak. And God revealed to him the rest of the story in a very beautiful way, by an angel appearing to Joseph in a vision. If you look at these Christmas stories, you see God revealing his plan to people in all kinds of wonderful ways, through angels, through dreams, through visions, through stars in the night sky. When we make room for God and we seek his voice, he's at liberty to speak to us in all kinds of ways, wonderful ways. And he does. He speaks in dreams and visions to us. He speaks sometimes through gut feelings or through wise counsel from other godly people. And of course, he speaks to us through the scriptures. As it says in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. So someone asked me this week, so when we're trusting the Lord and we're waiting on him, how do we know if it's God that's leading us or if it's us ourselves that just want to do something? It's a great question. If you have two paths in front of you, how do you know if it's God telling you to take path A or path B? Or do you know if it's just you feeling drawn to one path? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is pray and seek God's guidance, right? We need to tell him that we're seeking his will and that we want to do what he wants. After we pray, uh, sometimes we need to talk to godly counsel. We need to talk to someone who's not uh, invested too much in us taking path A or path B, right? If we've got two jobs in front of us, we don't want to talk to the person who's trying to get us to take this job, but whether we should take that one or this one. You want to talk to someone who just loves you and will support you either way and doesn't have an invested interest in which way you go. Now, another thing to do is you want to really make sure that whichever options you're looking at, that they line up with Scripture. If you're looking at two options and one of them contradicts Scripture, then it's definitely not God calling you to take it. God will never call you to adultery, ever, no matter how hard it is with your spouse. God will never call you to satisfy your desires in some ungodly way. He'll never call you to do that, ever. So if it's that, if it's something that clearly contradicts Scripture, then you can just knock that off. That's just you or the devil or your impulses. So you definitely don't want to choose an ungodly path. If it's two paths and they both look good and you can see the pros and cons of each and neither one of them violates Scripture, it might just be that God is letting you choose. You know, God likes to watch us navigate life and make decisions if we've prayed and we've sought his will and nothing is contradicting scripture. I think sometimes God delights in letting us make the choice. And if you're a parent, sometimes your kids want you to make decisions for them, but you know, it's theirs to decide. It's theirs to wrestle with. And you're going to be with them and support them either way. And if we pray and we seek God's will 
and we have to make a decision, we can make it and we can trust that it is God's will because we sought him. And we just have to decide. And so he listened for God's voice and God communicated clearly to him. And the final thing is this, Joseph did what God said. The story ends in verses 24 and 25. It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not, meaning he didn't have relations with her until she had given birth to his son. And then he called his name Jesus. He named him. He adopted Jesus as his own. Joseph had to get up and obey God. You know, this is so essential. When it feels like the world is falling apart, we have to make sure that we're doing what God says. That we're walking in what he has spoken through the scriptures. If he does tell us to do something, it will often be hard. People will often not understand it. I mean, how many of Joseph's friends do you think told him it was a good idea to marry Mary when she had become pregnant with someone that wasn't his child? Do you think everybody said, go for it, man? Surely, you know, whatever, it was just a mistake or whatever. Do you think they believed his story about the dream, about the divine pregnancy? It's a big story. That's a stretch. But he obeyed God anyway, and we need to as well. We need to obey God. And a lot of times, people, their world's crumbling, and they don't know what to do, and they're waiting for God to show them. But in truth, God has already shown them. He's already spoken to them, but they just aren't doing it yet because what he's told them is too hard. So they're just waiting for something easier, <laughs> living in disobedience. Friends, when our world is falling apart, it's time to get right up next to God and do whatever he says. Let him lead us through it to the role and the path that he has for us. God does have a good path for us. God does have a big job for us. God does have a significant role for us to play. And he does want to do great things in the world through us by Jesus working through us. But we've got to keep controlling our impulses like Joseph did. We've got to keep choosing the high road and let him meet out whatever needs to be meted out. We've got to then listen for his guidance to speak to us in any number of ways. And then when we hear it, we need to act on it. So friends, we're getting so close. We'll see you on Christmas Eve. There's going to be a special service here online if you want to come. I'm sure we'll have space for everybody in a safe way. Kids at 3.30, we're going to have a kids service followed by a candy cane hunt. It's going to be great. Can't wait to see everybody. Let's close by praying the Lord's Prayer together today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.